You are listening to Down Home. I don't know if you've seen it, a two-panel cartoon explaining the difference between equality and equity. It depicts a father and his two young children trying to watch a baseball game behind a tall fence. In the equality panel, all three are standing on the same size boxes to look over the fence, which works well for the father and one of his children, but it doesn't work for the smallest child. Her view is of the fence and only the fence. Under the equity panel, the father is standing on the ground, his second child is standing on one box, and his smallest child is using two boxes. The same three boxes are being used, but the equitable use of the boxes means that the smallest child gets to see the game as well. The adoption of equity and inclusion enriches our society as a whole, but it is vital in our education systems. In this episode, Jay and I have a roundtable discussion about equity and inclusion in education with Tess Porter, a former teacher at Algonquin College and current OCDSB Black graduation coach, and Dr. Venus Ola, who organizes counseling and wellness programs at the University of Windsor. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. I am Derek Wise, and as always, we have Jay Jones. What's happening? Hey. <laughs> and our uh, our conversation uh, this week is with Tess Porter. Hi. What's up, cuz? Hey, and, it's all good. <laughs> and Dr. Venus Ola. Dr. Ola, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. So full disclosure, uh, me and Tess are first cousins. I, I say first cousins, but we grew up so close that we're, it's more like, like siblings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right on Creighton Street. Yeah, on Creighton Street. Um, all, you know, North End born and bred. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll, we'll start off with you, Tess. Um, just for our, for the sake of our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what type of work you you've done around equity and inclusion. Okay, well that, that that's pretty broad. But that's it okay. is broad. Um, well, um, in the past, I've been blessed with many different professions. I was in law enforcement for a number of years, and which um, sort of put me into an academic sort of role of doing training, and then I went into education. So education is where I ended my career. So I'm semi-retired now. Yes, I know, because I look young. It's okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I've always been involved with um, equity and inclusion, and especially with our marginalized populations, because um, this work is a calling. This work is heavy, heavy work, but it's a calling. And especially when you have your own children, and also when you have your own experiences, because I think today we're gonna to be talking about the education piece, the education system. The education system itself is a beast, as we all know. And um, I was blessed to work a contract and the contract is graduation coach for black students. And that is a, a program that's throughout the province of Ontario. And that's how my path has crossed with Dr. Venusola because um, Venus as well was a graduation coach um, down in Windsor area. I am born in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, as as my cousin mentioned, and my family moved to Toronto. And in turn, uh, when I married, I moved to Ottawa. So I live in Ottawa, Ontario right now. And um, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, Ottawa, you know, how much diversity is there? Um, It's quite diverse now. And what we see in Ottawa um is the bilingual piece in the education system we are looking at schools especially that have french immersion so french immersion is something that um a lot of our bipoc students do not um apply for right or do not go into mm-hmm. um from a, a young young age even in junior and senior kindergarten what we notice is our kids are being streamed 
at that young age. So at that point, they can say, go to English or go to French. A lot of the French, when you go into these schools, you will see there's very little um, representation of our Black youth in particular in certain streams. And Mm -hmm. a little bit later, we'll talk about this streaming thing. I'm pretty sure Dr. Ola and I will speak to you about what's happening in our province around streaming. So Mm -hmm. all that to say is my work has been extremely vast in the um, area of equity and inclusion, especially with BIPOC population. I've had the opportunity to work in elementary, secondary, and also post-secondary settings. Uh, So I have a well-rounded sense of what's been happening from when our kids start in Mm -hmm. the system and when they leave. So Mm -hmm. I'll I'll just leave it there for now as we go. All right. And uh, Dr. Ola, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and also what type of work you do centering around equity inclusion. Okay. Um, so first I want to say, I find it interesting to talk about equity inclusion or work around it because just being a black woman, you are constantly doing the work of equity mm-hmm. inclusion. From the moment you walk into a, a store, you walk down the street, you're driving, you're, you know, it, it's, you're always doing that work, right? Because we live as black people in a Western society. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Mm-hmm. Whether we want to do the work, we don't want to do the work, people think they're doing the work, or they, you are always constantly doing that work as a, as a black person, you know, um, and just in where you hold your head or not, or look at someone or not, you know, we're constantly doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was brought to mind because of an experience I had at a store the other day, just trying to change um, um, vinyl floors and the experience that occurred there, right? And it just brought me back to, hmm, you know, you know, we're, we're constantly doing this work. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, my background, I'm, I'm a very, very proud immigrant. I came, I grew up in England. And my heritage is Nigerian and Jamaican. Um, and when I came here to Canada, I started work within the school, uh, the public school board here in Windsor area as at the time, it was called Change the Future Program, which was for racialized and marginalized students um, in high school. It's now called Create Your Future Program because of the deficit language of Change the Future, like, you know, so it um, was changed. Um, and through that, uh, I was very lucky <laughs> to, after that, work with um, Tess as a graduation um, coach. Prior to that, I was a high school teacher, decided to move from being a program counselor into being a high school teacher when I was doing chemistry and um, sciences. And like I said, we are always doing the work. So in my classrooms, when I'm having young, and I have to say this, young black males in my classroom who, who maybe don't want to do the work or are trying to, you know, because of, of learned behaviors, by the way, so I'm not saying black males don't want to do the work, mm-hmm. but learned, you know, behaviors challenging that, um, with them, sometimes acting more of a strict parent than, you know, a teacher. So doing the work in that way, um, even as a Change Your Future um, program counselor, having to really question, help teachers question their biases, you know, and, and that kind of um, thing, uh, working with parents. And then as a graduation coach, just trying to establish the program within the school, but with also within the context of the province and the different things that are happening. Um, and then now as a clinical therapist at the University of Windsor, and I specialize in black and racialized student mental health. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 you know, it's been across the board. And I just want to say, this has been over a span of years. So I'm sure Tess can, can attest to this. It's, this is over a span of years. And there've been so many different things that have changed but at the same time stayed exactly the same yeah (laughs) which is one of my and maybe we'll get into it it's one of my frustrations you know it's Mm -hmm. um things have changed but not quite changed you know um but yeah i think i don't know if i hope i answered my question because i can't went all over the place but yeah (laughs) that's all good you got me thinking you got me thinking you see now i'm like in (laughs) philosophical mode so yeah that's that's the thing no we love going down rabbit holes here of course yeah (laughs) yeah because there's so much right yeah there is yeah it's it's all connected to yeah Yeah, very true now as tess said this is um this is heavy work it's heavy Uh 
you know, uh, uh, Dr. Ola, what, what, um, you know, cause there was a point I'm, I'm sure where you said, okay, you know, I'm heading in this direction. What, what, uh, what brought you to, to, to lift in this heavy work? Um, I think part of, <laughs> there's a, I'm going to try and answer this question very honestly. When I came, the experience, when I came to Canada from England, uh, you know, there's all this balance between your own life and what's going on. And I saw this job advert for Change Your Future Program. And it specifically said, young people, um, black, which at the word, at the time it wasn't racialized because that wasn't the word we were using as ethnic minority. Again, so you're saying about the changes. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't. Um, and it really was about the education system. And my true belief is education can transform. Ed- education changed my life and for the better, um, which is why I got a PhD in education, because I truly believe in that tenet of education. It doesn't really matter what type of education. It doesn't have to necessarily be university education, but educating oneself, you transform your life. So when I saw that job advert, I don't know, I, it feels like a spiritual process, but it was just, I need that job. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that. This is the job I want. I want to improve the lives of young um, black and visualized students. And that's really what started, that started the work. Started yeah. The week. Yeah. 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 That's, that's and great to, to have that, um, that passionate moment, right? Like mm-hmm. this, this is for me, kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But was there anything in particular being born in in England? Was there anything in particular being a black woman um, that sort of made you make that jump in in Ontario, even though you didn't know it at the time? Like, was you know just your experiences? Well, it's interesting because first of all, it, you know, it's on reflection that you can start seeing the patterns. Because at the time, you, you know, you move through life. But I do have to say, I wasn't born in England. I grew, I was born in Nigeria. Later. Okay. okay. I was, as a many a story, I had, I grew up with my grandparents. So my mother, had, I, at nine months old, went to live with my grandparents in England. Mm-hmm. Nine months right up until I was at like seven. Um, and then I'm, I was very fortunate. And I do think, and this is going to answer the question, Jason, um, I grew up in, I stayed in, lived in Nigeria for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I think what did, what that did for me also, was, you know, I come from um, education in terms of because I had that Nigerian heritage, mm-hmm. everybody's black. Yes. <laughs> Don't question your blackness. Right. <laughs> Yeah. There are other things like socioeconomics or, of you know, course. what co- tribe you come from. or the, But it's, you know, you see black doctors, uh, you see all black people at every echelon of society. So it's mm-hmm. not. So when you come to live in a Western country. Um, I don't know, you just don't you don't question that in mm-hmm. that sense. Yeah. You don't I, question your ability to be able to do something. I'm not. And again, I. I keep on, every time I talk about these things, I always feel I have to do disclaimers. And the reason I have to do disclaimers is because I know it's not this straightforward. There's mm-hmm. colon- colonialism has caused a lot of issues mm-hmm. in Africa. I'm not trying to paint this picture that Africa's, you know, mm-hmm. co- you know um, colonialism has caused a lot of issues across the globe. Mm-hmm. But they're just some things about, you know, being able to see people who are like you and never having to question mm-hmm. your identity in mm-hmm. that sense. Yes. But I just think shift something in you. You know, um, so and I love black people. I mean, I love all people, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> but I just, I, just I, I think we're I think we're beautiful, smart, driven, resilient. Um, I don't know. I can't. I'm getting emotional because I just I just I think we're some of the best people on the planet, and no. and we can do anything we want. And when I when I worked with students as a uh, counselor and as I worked with students mm. in the classroom, that's where I came from. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's the point. That's why I want to instill in them. You can do anything. Like we're so and I actually oh, sorry and I really do apologize for this. Because now I'm going way over to you're, that point. You're do, you're doing great. So, <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I really truly believe that's the whole reason why we have been oppressed. 
Mm-hmm. Because actually, our oppressors know how great we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they know how powerful we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can, I can agree. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying, and I think yeah. that's why it has been, you know, intentional mm-hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to, we need to get that. We need, we need to get that. Yeah. yeah, that's what I. That's my work. I, I want us to get that. Those are can important I words. Something there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Tiff. Yeah. No, no. Um, and, and Venus can attest to this as well. This is something that uh, we've seen over the years, over decades, over generations, that representation matters. And people forget that piece. Representation matters. I can sit here comfortably and remember my grade four teacher, Mrs. Barton. Mrs. Barton. You guys know Mrs. Barton. Yeah. Um, down home. Yeah. Um, but that was my first Black teacher. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have another Black educator until i was in college really wow yes i didn't have a black educator to be seen mm-hmm. and i was in an, at that stage when i was in high school i was in toronto which is very oh. multicultural diverse and, and, and however i never had a black teacher in high school that's interesting isn't that interesting yeah it yeah, is yeah. very interesting so when venus is speaking about when her experience in nigeria and and you know um, we've worked, and, and she has as well, worked with students who are from Nigeria and different mm-hmm. African countries. And they never really knew they were Black, if you understand what I mean, because everybody was Black and it wasn't mm-hmm. something. Until you came into a space where you're like the minority. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. And it's like some, it's just like, like a wake-up call for a moment. Yeah. Um, and this is something that we hear and have heard. And just to let you guys know, with this graduation coach for Black students, it's huge. Um, as I shared, it's throughout the province. Um, so it's as far southwest as where Wind- Windsor, where Dr. Ola was, and as far east as where I am in Ottawa. And we had the same issues. Yeah. Even though we're in a different areas of the, the province, we all saw the same things. Mm-hmm. And our students also said the same things. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see myself in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself in the curriculum. The only time that I'm celebrated in the space is on February. Yeah. yeah. And February yeah. just happens to be the shortest month as well. Yeah. Um, but this is what students have said. I don't see myself when I go to the curriculum, when I go into the classroom. Um, very few students have experience with working directly with someone who looks like them yeah yeah because it's powerful people misunderstand that power that um happens when you walk into a space and there are little black boys and little black girls who see you and their light their eyes light up Mm. because it's like wow oh Mm. mrs porter is this or dr ola does this i can do it too yeah Mm. yeah yeah so it's the power of representation. So I understand what Dr. Ola is saying um, because it is very important because that's something that has come out in the work over many years. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, I, I I can definitely attest to that. I It's interesting because, you know, we did grow up in the North End, but I remember uh, uh, Mrs. Barton, Mrs. Barton, as well as uh, Mr. Simons, um, as well from... Um, from Joe Howe and um, in Bloomfield, we had a couple of uh, black teachers as well, but that was, um, you were in Toronto by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I do remember, I do remember a few black teachers and, and uh, me and Jay talk about this uh, quite a bit. Um, the North end was like a bubble back then though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, where the, 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 it was predominantly black. Yes. Of course there were a, a, a few white, residents there but at that time it was predominantly black and it was a bubble and when my mother brought me up here to Ontario when I was eight years old it was like it was like cold water being thrown on me a little bit (laughs) so I I do get that that concept definitely yeah yeah for sure now now Tess you mentioned your your experience in law enforcement um Mm -hmm. you said it kind of led to training and then that kind of led to other areas of education right uh just take us a little bit along that journey and the uh-huh. decision that you made to say, oh, you know, this, this is for me, like to right. take that, like, I, like we said, to take that heavy load and, and start doing this work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because um, when, when I first started um, just the other day, 
in law enforcement. <laughs> um, I was. Uh, <laughs> are you laughing, Doctor Olin? No, 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 no. Of course not. I was one of very few um, black females um, in the prof- in the profession. Um, so that in itself was huge. Um, I was one of the first ten in a group of female female women um, that were in law enforcement, and the work was very for fulfilling. It was extremely demanding, of course. Um, and it also played a toll on my children because I had young children at that time. Um, a lot of people, just to go, just to speak a little bit about this, because I think it's important as well. When you are a person who's a marginalized group and you are in a male, white dominated profession, um, there's no words that can um, describe how you must be a hundred, if not 200% um, better than the next. Mm-hmm. And um, because you are, you're like trailblazing now because you're starting to um, cause change. You're causing change. You're standing up for those that don't have a voice. You're standing up for those who are coming behind you um, to say that we deserve a place at the table. Mm-hmm. So that in itself was um, very, very revolutionary. It was awesome. I work with some great women. Um, in the space and, and great black men and one as well Daryl um Daryl Upshaw if you guys know Daryl from back in the day in Creighton yeah yeah um Daryl worked um with the Ottawa police as well at the time so he was an awesome advocate as well so just to speak about that um what was happening in my career I was going in the way of uh, academics so I was training officers and in and training updating laws and stuff like that that was my role and I saw these young ones coming in and I was like, oh, my goodness, um, I think that they need more support. They need especially our black ones coming in. And I just had the opportunity because um, where I graduated from college, they um, recruited me to do some part time work. And as soon as I stepped in those classrooms, I said, this is something that I need. This is a place where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you go into spaces and you're like, mm. and then others are like, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is where I feel I can make change. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm getting the students that are going into the profession that I was in. Yeah. So it was just made sense. Yeah. So that's how my my career path was sort of weaved. And it's, like it's all weaved into one, to be quite honest, because it started there. But then it, it still had the same underlining in, which was looking at our BIPOC uh, population in particular and supporting our students who didn't have voices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also to be a voice for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's I, how I came to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And I'm very blessed to be able to say that I've had that op- opportunity and that experience because it leads me to people like Dr. Ola who have a different lens because we all come from different lived experiences and we complemented each other. Mm-hmm. As we walked and we leaned on each other mm-hmm. while we were doing the heavy lifting, because, you know, I'm sure, Jay, and because you know that this work is is not for the faint at heart. No. So it's important to have supports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, I mean, that kind of just what you just said kind of leads to our next question in the sense of uh, what are some of the challenges that you have seen? Uh, predominantly BIPOC, BIPOC communities uh, face around issues of education. Uh, Dr. Ola? Mm. Well, this is a tricky um, answer, uh, question to me, um, only because the last few years I've moved, I transitioned out of education. Oh, okay. Um, to be working as a therapist. Still in the in the university postgraduate um, setting, and I, I, I'm I'm struggling with that question. Okay, well let's um, sort and, of change. And, uh, can I can I just give the context though, and then I will. Yes, I think because I think te- yeah. Tess would be better at um, kind of pinpointing current. Okay. Outcomes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would say over the last two years, my understanding was there's been a lot of money. I'm going to try not show my cynicals. <laughs> Given, you know, to the black communities to do this, all this, this programming, and there's been a lot of, at least down here, a lot of anti-black racism work um, with regards to um, uh, 
uh, black students. However, I feel that the challenges are shifting somewhat based on some of the teacher, things I'm hearing now in, from teachers and from students. And I don't know whether, and, and Tess and I have not had an opportunity to kind of explore this, and this is why I'd love to know Tess's yeah. um, uh-huh. kind of uh, perspective and take on it. Um, and I think part of the challenge is things are not always um, done correctly. So we've had, for example, anti-black racism, and most of it has all been about every PD day, all teachers have to sit down and do some training. Mm-hmm. It's been on for two, three years. So now there's a lot of resentment. So a lot of te- white teachers, well, I can't stop. These are the types of things you hear. I'm just saying on the gate right now because I've, I'm people are more freer to talk to me now because I don't. I'm not part of the school board. Right, right. I can't. I can't stop the black student in the in the hallway, even though they can see the black student doing something wrong, right? Like it's not about being black. They need to be in class, right? They need to be in class. But I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to. You know, I, I might be called racist, uh-huh. yeah. right? Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. We can delve, delve deep into that because there's so many. It's so wrong on so many levels. Many levels. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand that. But I feel like some of our challenge, the challenges now, it's almost we need an. Um, ADR, Antibiotic Racism 3.0 or 5G. Like, we have to start looking at um, what, what are the results of some of the things that we're doing? What are the outcomes? Yeah. It's that accountability piece. Tess talked, when we worked together, Tess was really, and I loved it because it's something I, I didn't really think about. So mm-hmm. I've got to say Tess, Tess contributes to that more. But that accountability piece. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, sorry. And just, and even to me, some of this is very deficit, right? So how many times does a teacher need to understand about, for example, in our area, we've got the underground railroad and slavery, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How, like, okay. So what's the next steps for our, our, our kids? Right. Right. How are we, you know, how we continually to move, move us forward. Forward. Yeah. So I, I don't know, and that, but like I said, I think Tess could probably give a better um, yeah. order, like explanation, but those are some of the things that have been coming to mind when I'm hearing uh, kind of different uh, messages from mm-hmm. um, in the education system. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, well, Tess, answer the same question, but Dr. Ola, I do want to come back and sort of talk, talk about some of the impact that uh, sort of the mental health uh, has, uh-huh. you know, so uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll yep. sort of make that transition back because that's also a very yeah. huge, huge thing that connected huge, huge, to, to huge. it, you know? So Tess, uh, do you want me to repeat that question? No, what no, are, no. Okay, cool. Um, so I think Venus is, un, un, you know, undercutting herself a little bit there, but uh, uh, she, she was doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, what we noticed, especially these past three years, if let's just think back for a moment, we have technically been living two pandemics. Two pandemics. The first one is, like everybody knows, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But guess what the other one is? Anti-Black racism. Mm-hmm. When George Floyd got murdered, and it was online, and it was all through the media, that had a huge impact on our Black, or BIPOC, Oh, even our, our BIPOC, I have to say, our, I bought a BIPOC students, our BIPOC educators, mm-hmm. uh, our BIPOC social workers. Had, it had a huge impact because now we have our children who have been discriminated against for many years. And I have to stop and pause for a second because the reason why one of well, our program got started is because the Ministry of Education realized that there have been discriminatory practices against black youth and yeah. our education system. Yeah. That's yeah. why they created this position throughout the province, not just in one city. Um, this, the Graduation Coach for Black Students program, its sister program is indigenous. So the black, there's also indigenous graduation coaches. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got started in the work. And Venus is correct when we're speaking about the mental health. That also was another issue and another area that had a huge impact on our students being locked down. Think about it for a moment. Our children were being locked down 
some of them didn't even have access to technology. Yeah. You know, this pandemic has been a blessing in disguise because what it did, it exposed it exposed for the ministry and all those who are making those decisions where the deficits truly were. We knew it because mm-hmm. we're in the ground. We're right front smack into it. We knew it, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. So what started to happen, and Venus can attest to this in our work, is now you have these people on the front lines that are seeing the injustices firsthand. Yeah. Lack of food security. Lack of mental health services for our BIPOC, especially our Black students. Lack of technology. They can't even go to school. Mm-hmm. We have a problem with that because yeah. school is not um, something that is um, optional. It's a right in, yeah. in our country. Our children have a right to education. So we, meaning those who are in the work, we also have a right to bring things forward. And in this position that we were in, these these many positions that we're in, we have been blessed to go to sit at different tables. Yeah, That's what's key. Mm-hmm. Our voices are very important because we had an opportunity to speak directly with the Ministry of Education. Yeah. We partnered with them. Yeah. And every second month we came to them and shared with them what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. So- and they had to make some changes. Yeah. So just just a side note. Well, not not a side note. It, it's directly in in uh, conjunction with what you're talking about, Tess. What uh-huh. what what are the elements of like a uh-huh. successful equity program? Like uh-huh. like like give me two or three key elements in a successful equity program. In order for any program to be success successful, number one, translation. Mm. Language is key. Mm-hmm. communication is key who are you targeting and are they getting the information because what happens is um these people make decisions and say oh yeah they, they need this well no maybe they don't mm-hmm. did you go into these communities sit down and have conversation did you listen to student voice did you listen to what the students are saying they need yeah you may think they need, um, I don't know, gift cards for Walmart, but they may say, well, we just need hotspots so we can get in and get our homework done. Mm-hmm. So in order for programs to work, you need to sit down with the people, the stakeholders who are involved and ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, work with your community partners who are very important. Your community uh, partners can also facilitate whatever is outstanding. Maybe they don't, maybe a school does not have funding. Well, go to your community partner. And that way you can work together in creating these programs for your students. Mm-hmm. And so can I just add to that too? Yes, yes. And then the review and constantly making sure that you are um, reviewing and being flexible and changing in order and adapting in order to make sure that it's still individually tailored for not the child, not just the child, the community, the family, mm-hmm. right? So it's a reiterative re- process. I think that's the part that's always missed. We, d- we don't realize this is an iterative process, mm-hmm. that we should always be reviewing, having holding people accountable, and then going back and saying, okay, did this work? If this works, okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's, we are always, we're changing constantly. We're always adapting. Mm-hmm. So at this moment, it might work. Okay, we've got this bit or this didn't work. Then we need to change this. But we have to keep on looking at it yeah. all the time. It can't just be, and Tess knows when she first met me, I was just angry. And Tess is so calm. And the voice is so soothing. She's Listen, sister girl, you know, just got to take it. Because my frustration, I, I, you know, and I didn't need to roll my eyes and just like, you know, the government didn't, you know, miss it. They know. We have been talking about this for decades. Yes. You know, you know, failing our black youth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And, and sorry, but that was my thing. Just test the test kept me calm because I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, those are these are some of the things that that get so frustrating in the sense of uh, all these things that are happening with this eye-opening time where everything has been exposed, and even though it's been there for centuries, <laughs> you know what I mean. What is it that? You know, we say we're going to make changes, but like you said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You said, um, you know, we're constantly doing the work. We're constantly doing the work. This kind of stuff takes toll mentally, physically. You know, am am I good enough? Uh, can I even do this because I'm black, because I didn't get the things that I always needed? Like, these are some of the th- challenges that, uh, you know, obviously black people have faced and continue to face. With all of this going on, what does it mean? Like, you know, I mean, that's the question I'm going to ask. Like, how can you seriously make a difference if they know it? You know? I think we all, I, sorry, jump in the test. Sorry, I got passionate too. Sorry. Oh, but I, I, think, I think we are always making a difference. And tests help me realize that. Okay. Yeah, we and and we are always we making are. a difference. We, we are because yeah. um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but did you guys know that in Ontario, Ontario was the only or is the only province that streams? Really? Remember you guys wow. remember applied and academic? Yeah. Remember? We in Ontario were the only province that streams. Mm-hmm. So now what has happened is community groups and voices like myself and Dr. Ola and others have come to the ministry and said, no, this is unacceptable. This is discriminatory practice. So then now what has happened through the ministry downward is they have to revoke that. So now it's de-streaming that's taking place throughout the whole province Mm -hmm. because they realized that that behavior was discriminatory because if you guys ever look, if you ever go into a high school and walk around into an academic class, you might have two or three BIPOC students. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's what was happening and and is being corrected today is our guidance counselors with, you know, sort of cushion our students over to this side versus this side. For example, when, when I was a grad coach, one of my students came to me and she shared with me that she went to her guidance counselor to share that she wanted to go into nursing. So what courses would she have to take? Mm-hmm. So the guidance counselor is like nursing. Mm, that's that's very difficult. Why not? Why don't you be a PSW? Wow. So, yes, yes, mm. yes. And this type of thing is happening in our schools. And mm-hmm. these are things that we hear of and we bring it forward. So now what's happening with our guidance counselors, they're getting additional training in regards to this, but also they're, they're being more, held more accountable. Yeah. Dr. Ola mentioned that word. Accountability is key. When you start mm-hmm. to hold people accountable, their practices change. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's cause... what's been happening. You know, Jay, in in because I know you guys know when you guys were in school, it was rough. Because yeah. most most BIPOC students never went to a guidance counselor. Very rare. Because they would get their information from their their fellow students mm-hmm. versus yeah. going into those spaces because they didn't feel like they belonged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and just yeah. to add to that, another example. This hold up, remind us. I'm a very hands-on person. So the guidance because you, you're very hands-on. So actually, because you're very hands-on, you should you should be in the applied stream mm-hmm. because it's more hands-on, and and it's a psychological piece, right? So now the student doesn't actually really they don't understand that. Okay, now I'm I'm down this street now, mm-hmm. right? So it's 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 um it's insidious. It's very it's very psychological too. I heard that all the time. I'm just a hands-on. I'm a very practical, hands-on person. Well, actually, you can still do academic work and be hands-on. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to say those two things don't you don't are they mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. So these are these are the subtle ways in which we have been or students get streamed. Yeah. Right. When your parent comes, in, well. You know, I, I had that all the time. Sorry, it's just when Tess said that, it reminded me. I had that. Yeah. All the time. I'm very hands-on, so that's why I'm going to be in applied. No, and that's I'd a have good... to ask questions. What does that mean? Yeah, mm. well, that's definitely a good way to be. So now that you've made the transition from some of the work that uh, Tess is doing, you said you sort of made a transition to uh, psychotherapy and the mental health aspect. What are you doing to sort of help kids uh, or black? Uh, 
students or or black people how has that how's your approach changed to sort of make them succeed from a mental health standpoint with everything that we face Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, my very position is helping. Um, so I was employed as the first Black um, clinical therapist specializing with Black um, and racialized students. And mm. that actually came out um, from student activism. Okay. So the, student, the Black students, University of Windsor, really had a call of, okay, things have to change. And, um, and actually, because of that, we've also got... Um, Hopefully September will be Black Studies Institute, um, which we're going to have at the University of Windsor. Mm-hmm. And they're employing 14, um, I think it's 12 or 14 uh, professors, librarians across the uh, university, like interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, oh, they had over 140 applications across the globe for these wow. positions. So, and then that's kind of what I was thinking, even though sometimes it might feel as if nothing's, you know, we're not doing anything or things aren't changing, you know, we get these things are, and we have to keep going. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the mental health, the main reason why I got into it in the first place was because of the classroom. And it's very difficult to learn when you have a lot of emotional issues, traumas that are going on. And I found, um, and again, I have keep saying because I love my black boys I've got two black boys I found black boys who talk to me would come to me and and you know open up it's very mm-hmm. difficult for them for, yeah, I'm sorry to generalize but this is my this is the experience um at the time to really be able to open up and talk about their feelings or their struggles or the, you know the, the mental health um, things that are going on which is kind of again what led me down this path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and even at university, uh, I had very, very, it's very interesting. There is something we get on with things. It's almost innate in our DNA. We, we have trials, we have things that we, challenges, but we tend, we've got very high resilience. Mm-hmm. But the flip side to high resilience is we do get burnt out. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think it's creating that space for, for us as, black students or, or, or black mothers or to actually be able to to speak about that mm-hmm. to be able to you know rather than being the strong black woman that caricature that actually yes I can be strong but at the same time I can I can I can be vulnerable yeah I can be sad mm-hmm. I can be tired mm-hmm. you know so I, I try very much to create that space yeah. um, I've been doing I still do community work so um, focus on like um, it was black mental health for youth. It was a mm-hmm. program that, and it was really it was like an eight week program, and it included yoga. I, I teach yoga too, but also looking at healthy relationships, self care, intergenerational trauma, mm-hmm. racial trauma. Mm-hmm. These are all things that are are very. Um, I think they're quite specific to us. As, yeah. as a people, you know, um, so really talking about that, I'm actually going to run a hoping I'm creating a program like that for university students, um, even our spirituality, okay, we are spiritual people, so even in the mental health space, I often get looked at my white colleagues, but we do, we, we, mm-hmm. we, are, we are spiritual people, so whether we do talk about God or we talk about our ancestors or, you know, this conversation, oh, you know, I feel blessed. These are, these are part of our language. And yeah. it's been, you know, we, uh, you know but we're looking at Af- African, I've been look, also looking at African psychology. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they're talking about is that has been taken out of our mental health. So we're not allowed, to, you, if you speak about spirituality or your soul or connection to the earth or connection to our community, our brothers, our sisters. The reason why we do this is because of our community. The reason why we work hard is because it's been taken out on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also causing tolerance. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a, when I'm looking at black mental health, I'm trying to re, like bring back these pieces that are fundamental to us, to yeah. our DNA, to our, to our lives. You know what yeah. I'm saying? 
Yeah. So I, I don't have to answer the question. No, yeah. no, oh, yeah, I definitely. Think, I, I think that's that's amazing, and, so and it, it's also an important thing that it's it's about connection, which you're trying to bring that because communities are important, and I feel like even you know doing the work that Derek and I have been doing the last little while, like going back to Halifax and seeing how the the community is sort of disjointed and not not connected. Those are the things where you lose your identity, and henceforth your mental health is affected, and it also leads to resilience also leads to hyper independence and which in turn leads to isolation and you know solitude Mm -hmm. or feeling like you're the only one who can do the work and you're doing it by yourself rather than looking out there for the help that you may need and that's the the three tenets of african psychology is is the connection between self Mm -hmm. community and um, self community and also the spirit Yes. That is indigenous. That's indigenous to African. All in African indigenous cultures have those three tenets to it. Yeah. Amen mm-hmm. to that. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and yeah. it's been taken yeah. out. And mm-hmm. we need that. We mm-hmm. For us to be the fullest sense of who we are, which yeah. is why I want this. I want all of us to, each individual, to be the fullest sense of who we are. We need those three things. And that's yeah. what I'm, that's, again, my philosophy of what I'm trying to do when I'm yeah. looking at black mental health. Let's bring no. that back so we can yeah. be. Yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Yes, sorry, uh, Doctor Ola. Um, just something off the top of my mind because we did we've spoken to uh, um, another clinical psychologist a ways back. I don't know how long ago that was, Jay. Uh, last summer, I believe. So over <laughs> over a year and a half. Over ago, a year maybe. and a half ago, yeah. yeah. She, uh, great lady, uh, Camilla Clayton. But anyway, um, we were talking about um, the weight of all the things that our pot, our, our community has to deal with centered around like micro transact, micro microaggressions and like the weight of just everyday interactions with people that are well-meaning, but there's certain languages that are used that kind of pile on top of us. Um, what just off the top of your, your head, what, what type of, um, like advice would you give someone that's feeling that weight on a daily basis? Um, well, I think one thing I have, I try to, um, the two main things I think I, I try to get people to do, and I do myself, it's my own practice. I do this as a practice too, is talking about it. Mm. And talking about it to people who you feel safe, who are safe, who you feel safe with. Mm-hmm. Um, because those microaggressions are there to make you doubt yourself. Yeah. And when you doubt yourself, guess what? You doubt everything about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's when we have the imposter complex. Should I really be in, yeah, imposter syndrome? Should I really be there? So I think really being able to talk about that experience. So it's an intentional, it's kind of, you have to create your own intentional network support. Mm. And it's in, you have to do it intentionally. Right, so you need to know I've got three or four people that I can speak to truly and fully about this. I can, I can, you know, I can share stories, or maybe they don't need; they just need to witness. Mm-hmm. You have three witnesses to your experience, and and they don't, you know, they don't have to agree or disagree, but be able to speak to that experience mm-hmm. because we've held on to it for so long. Right, we might joke and we tend to use humor, which is the highest one of the highest forms of uh, of kind of processing. But sometimes humor just is not going to do it. Yeah, right. We we need to have those spaces, those safe spaces where we can speak to, and that's why I try to you need to intentionally seek out three or four people, two people who you can who can witness your pain, witness the experience with you. That's mm-hmm. one thing, and then the second thing I do think is. Journaling. I do believe in journaling, journaling about these experiences. And then once you've gotten to, if you're able to do that, then it's taking action. Otherwise, we hold this, we internalize it all. And that action might actually be going back to the person who might have said what they've said or done what they've done or, or whatever and actually speaking to it. Because a lot of those times when the microaggressions occur, we kind of shut down. We, 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 we have a trauma response because it's been happening so many times and we're like, yeah. Yeah. fight or flight, did, did I hear this? Or it's like, you, 
right? And then, yeah. you know, with all the hu- humiliation, you know, you feel ashamed because of the mm. way you reacted. And, you know, then now we're, we're, you know, shame kicks in and it's just, it becomes a cycle. Yeah. So that's why I say, you know, those are probably the three things. You, you need to have a witness. You need to have three or four people you can talk to about these things. You've got to. Mm-hmm. You've got to have that um, writing about it, processing it, whether you write poetry, whether you, I sketch. I do a lot of sketches. Yeah. It's just no one has to see them. And then action. If you can take some action, mm-hmm. because the action helps with the work that we yeah. do. Yeah, that's great. very true. Yeah, yeah. Because oh. I use I use spoken word as you know all through the pandemic with some of the things that mm-hmm. some some of my own personal challenges that I was facing. I needed a place to put things, and it was always in the words. Whether or not people heard it didn't really matter. But I slowly became empowered by it and then i also realized that oh man i got a story to tell and then i was like i need to share it because that's what i felt and i think um passion is important um so if you can just be passionate about something have a place to put things and like you say a good advice is having people you can talk to so thanks for that good advice man that's that's really important oh, sorry, one other thing hear. though rest Rest. Uh, yes. We should allow ourselves to rest, man, because yeah. like Tess kept on saying, this this yeah. work is real, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can yeah, we need rest too. We have to be okay with giving ourselves a little bit of rest and just some mm-hmm. peace and not yeah. feel guilty about it. Right. Not so <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We we need to stop doing that too. <laughs> so going back into the circle uh um Tess let's go back to you like um you know some of the things that you said about uh you know can the education system support young BIPAC students to Um, ensure success could you just elaborate on that just a little bit more before we end this discussion of course well I I think it's important um to to re-identify uh things that are, are not going well and that kind of thing but what what is going well there are things that are going well. And if there's some things that I can speak about, and, and I know Dr. Ola will agree as well uh, in the journey, it doesn't matter if it's secondary or post-secondary school, every single student has a voice and they underestimate the power of their voice. Give you an example. Um, a group of students at TDSB, TDSB is one of the most forward-thinking um, education institutions. They're really way ahead of us all. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to progression, uh, giving opportunity, um, hiring more um, BIPOC uh, employees, everything. However, their students spoke up in regards to wanting to have a space, wanting to have a space for them. So what did they do? They created the Sankofa Center. TDSB has a highly mm-hmm. functioning Sankofa Center where they have a place where they can call home and where they have that sense of belonging, where they can get all the services in one spot. Mm-hmm. That is so important. Similar to what Dr. Ola, the work that's happening at the University of Windsor, in regards to identifying what does our students need. So this is what the education system needs to do. And some of them are doing it. So they're listening. For example, in Ottawa, um, there are they're called BSU, Black Student Unions. You may hear that across the board at any high school in particular. Mm -hmm. They have these strong voices of Black youth coming forward, giving their needs. And what has come out of that is they want to have a social worker who looks like them. Mm -hmm. They want to have a guidance counselor who looks like them. Because for these students, that first gives them a sense of identity. Also, it's culturally relevant. And third, that is where they can get their sense of belonging. And that's where that space is safe. Like Dr. Mm -hmm. Ola made reference to a safe space. Mm -hmm. Our students need to walk into spaces, feel welcome, but also um, have the strength and be empowered to use that voice. So what has happened in turn is they've developed and created these spaces, meaning they have hired um, Black social workers that are for black students, mm-hmm. okay? um, And they will go as far as um, hiring these huge indigenous uh, supports, indigenous coaches, indigenous counselors, and same with um, uh, the LGBTQ plus community. So our students, it doesn't matter how old, because as young as elementary, they're starting to use their voices and as old as in post-secondary at university. Mm-hmm. To say that, no, 
this needs to stop. The narrative needs to change and you need to listen to us. So that is what's happening. And I, and I do see it across our province when I speak to my colleagues. It, it's starting to change slowly because this was not, this is a colonial situation. This is colonialism at the finest yeah. in yeah. our education systems. Yeah. They are colonial. They have been there for decades and yeah. generations. And like it's been, it's alert. So now yeah. we have to do some unlearning mm-hmm. and uprooting. And then implementing change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that is what's starting to happen. That's good to hear. It. Um. You know, the, I, speaking to my mom, uh, a few. Uh, again, that was another episode we had my mother <laughs> on. <laughs> but um, she had mentioned that um, one of the only institutions that has not seen any type of uh, uh, innovation has been our education systems. Um, so like, yeah. and these are, these are systems that have been in place for three, 400 years. So the yeah. way that you, the exact process that they were learning back in mm-hmm. like, you know, 1700 <laughs> is how is exact is the same exactly. system that we're learning now. I, in I love that. Oh my yeah. God. And you know, so, true. so yeah. funny. And I actually wrote that in my notes for the session. We're still in this industrialized model. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the and, and I love the way your mother said it's so it's 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 mind blowing. How is mm-hmm. that even possible when you think about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and, was and the, my notes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Such such resistant to change as well. Like um and it's it's part of the reason why my wife and I we chose the um the um oh my goodness I'm drawing a blank the alternative school Al- alternative school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> DJ, you know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he knows what's going on. He's, he's been over here. He's heard it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, no, it's um and you know, the that that reliance on experiential learning mm-hmm. um instead of uh sitting quietly in a classroom mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. to someone talk about it. <laughs> like yeah. the reliance on experiential learning and mm-hmm. and that goes around the board, even when it comes to learning about black history. We there there was um there was a few uh, teachers that um, would actually take the class and go somewhere <laughs> mm-hmm. and listen to someone speak about the the subject matter. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a awesome talk. Uh, thank you so much, uh, you guys, for Dr. Ola and, and, and Cuz. Do you have anything to add before we wrap up, uh, Dr. Ola? You don't want me to stop because <laughs> <laughs> you don't no, want to see that other side. You don't want to see that other side. <laughs> I know. It's like, and then it's like you know. So you know, I will just say very graciously, thank you so much for just the conversation. I, I I'm just, I'm actually really grateful for the conversation and being able to speak honestly and openly mm-hmm. about you know these these issues. And um, just yeah, thank you so much. And it's really, I've always wanted to love. I'm happy also to hear the update from Tess as well, but at least there is movement because it gives us hope and it keeps us moving forward because that's what we have to do. We, haven't, we have no other choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep on yeah. moving forward. But thank yeah. you. Awesome. Yeah. Tess, Cuz? Well, yeah. I, I agree with Dr. Ola because honestly, Jay and, and Cuz, really you guys having this platform and sharing all these different um, discussions with, with people um, because some people don't know really what's what's going on or how can they help. See, that's the other piece. You remember, I'm sure all of us here on the call, remember when we were school in school, we were told to be quiet or you have to sit quietly, you don't say anything. And mm-hmm. however, now we are in 2023, we are now trying to change that narrative and saying to our students and in our families, speak up. We need yeah. to hear your voice. Yeah, your voice yeah. is powerful because mm-hmm. your voice affects change yeah. because for so long we were told to be quiet. Mm-hmm. So now um, having that messaging repeated, and I know some of your guests that have been on have said this message as well to speak up, speak up and be heard. Mm-hmm. And then what will happen is it's like a domino effect. People will start to listen and people will start to say, Oh yes, I can speak because I saw Dr. Ola do the speech and she said, and then they'll she'll, they'll do it because they have a sense of confidence. So thank you guys for having this platform because it makes a big difference. It really does. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, that's, yeah, it means a lot. It's much appreciated. Jay Jones, take us out, man. Yeah, I mean, like 
Derek and I started on this journey and always to me, especially, and, and there's always a layer that sort of gets revealed. And as you go down these different sort of rabbit holes of education, uh, you know, race and mental health and, and all these systemic things that we have going on, like, that's what I find interesting because I didn't really know they existed before because, you know, I was just a black kid just trying to survive and keep my head down, be seen and not heard. But, uh, Tess, you telling us um, what's going on, it just gives you hope because these are some of the things that weren't available while we were there. And maybe in some situations, things that might have been turned out different for people, you know, based on those experiences. But better late than never. It's always good to get the ball rolling because every millionth mile, you have to take a, a first step. And this is it every day. And you guys, you ladies doing the work is very important. So we want to thank you for, for coming on and sharing your time and your experiences and the things that you've learned and seen and the things that you have gone through, especially from the perspective of a Black woman, because, you know, you guys, Black women are really the bare bones of the community, and uh, we need to see that too. We all need to be heard, and we all need to speak. So speak now or forever hold your peace. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep. No time to sleep as you reach your next phase, laying it all on the line. New trails start to blaze, it's a fire inside, a brand new path, breaking down the sum to one, feeling free. I just laugh. The song Breaking New Ground from The Breakdown. Like magic prescribed, only to see the perfect blend, like a diamond in the rough, ready to drop a perfect gem. It's time to shine, so fine.